Let me invite you to open up to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, today. And over the next few minutes, we are going to look uh, at another section on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to have to sort of finish up here today. We won't get to Matthew 7 because there's so much in this Gospel. We're trying to pick and choose where we can give our attention between now and Easter when we finish this study. But I really wanted to spend some time in Matthew 6 because I actually think what Jesus says in this chapter is foundational. If we don't, if we don't understand and live out of what Matthew 6 says, it's going to be impossible for us to live into all the teaching and all the, the ways of being kingdom people that Jesus has just laid out in Matthew 5. Before we get into Matthew 6, let me give us a quick recap of where we've been the past few weeks. We said that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gathers together this large crowd of people. People who have come really from the nations. Matthew says they've come from every region, not just within Israel, but outside of Israel's borders. And they've come to Jesus specifically because Jesus, Matthew says in chapter 4, teaches the word of God like no one else could. Jesus proclaims the good news of God's kingdom to them in a personal way, saying that that God is for you, and that's what this means in your your life, in your circumstances. And thirdly, they've come to Jesus because Jesus had the power to heal them, to heal them emotionally, spiritually, physically. And so he's gathered this following. He brings them up on a mountainside. And at the beginning of Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes... He announces the blessings of God's people, the blessings of God's kingdom for for people who, like this crowd, have come to Jesus with great need, have come to Jesus in their emptiness, looking to be filled up, looking for a different way to live in God's kingdom than, than the way that's been shown to them in the past. Jesus explains that the the heartbeat of his kingdom is not just about rule-keeping or law-keeping, but about the filling up of God's heart in his people. And so last week we talked about how while we follow Jesus, Jesus desires for us to be people who are full of peace, full of purity of heart, full of truth, full of powerful meekness, and full of God's steadfast love, even for people we don't readily desire to love even for our enemies. And so Jesus has this great desire to form within us the very character of who God is. He wants us to reflect that in our lives. And so Jesus, the very last verse that we we touched on last week, the summation of chapter 5, Jesus says, So therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. According to Jesus, kingdom people have been created for perfection. And that verse, I think, is a hard one to know what to do with on a couple of levels. First of all, that word perfect, right? If if you're among those who struggle with perfectionist tendencies, like me, 
Immediately when Jesus says be perfect, that can feel loaded with assumptions or expectations about what is going to be required of us and and how we'll ever measure up. How could we ever be perfect in the same way God is? We start to despair that, that Jesus is setting the bar so high here that we won't ever measure up. The second level that's challenging about that last verse in chapter 5 is he says that we're to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. And that idea of, of the fatherhood of God is complicated. Complicated in large measure because of the experiences we bring about what fathers are like, what our own fathers were like, what we have absorbed from our own human experiences. And so how we become perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Something we need help to live into. Our small group has been reading through a a book called Having the Mind of Christ. And it's sort of eight axioms or paradigms about how we see God. How we see God maybe more clearly or more truly for who God is. And the book suggests that the picture each of us have about God, not just intellectually, not just the one we can articulate with words, but the the sort of image we carry about who God is deep in our bones is often connected to the experiences we've had with family in other other places, in in our immediate families. And they talk about how this can develop within us different kinds of sort of spiritual attachment styles, right? We, we all learned how to attach in our family, how to give and receive love in our families. And depending on how that happened in your family, you may assume, you may carry in your bones the assumption that, that God operates in relationship with you in the same way, that he gives and receives love in a similar fashion or approval. And so depending on what your experience with a father or a mother has been like, you may believe that God is someone who is sometimes ashamed of you and your behaviors. Maybe you believe that God is someone who seeks to control your behaviors. Maybe your picture or or image of God is someone who is terribly busy and maybe doesn't have all that much time to be in relationship with you. Maybe you feel God's relationship with you is volatile and it changes from moment to moment or day to day depending on the circumstance. And so to unpack how we live into this kingdom, how we become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, maybe a first step is acknowledging what images we're carrying around, where that's helpful or less than helpful. But as we do that, it also begs the question, well, what is God really like? How do we adjust our image or our vision of of God? Where do we go for a clearer picture? And I believe our, our best hope, the good news, is that in this Sermon on the Mount, we are learning from Jesus, who's not just a master teacher. Remember, Jesus is the true Son of God. 
Jesus is the one who was baptized in the Jordan River and of whom God, the Heavenly Father, said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus is uniquely poised to teach us about this Father. We're meant to be like, perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. And in Matthew 6, that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. He wants to tell us about the Father he knows. So I'm going to read Matthew 6 all the way through. As I read, I'll I'll, um, just help you to pay attention that I've bolded any time Jesus refers to his Father in this passage so that you can be thinking about what perfection means and particularly what it means in terms of who our Father is, what he's actually like. Jesus says, the end of chapter 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But chapter 6, but be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we wear, or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me pray briefly as we seek to understand this word. Lord Jesus, we invite your insight, your spirit's lived experience of being a child of God the Father and receiving perfectly from his love. May my words as I teach through this passage, may the meditations of our hearts be guided by you. May they be pleasing to you. May they reflect perfectly who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've just bit off a big chunk of scripture, all of chapter 6. There's a lot there. But I really want to, to think about that one central question that we started with in the beginning. How is this chapter meant to teach us what, it's, what it means to be perfect as our Father is perfect? And I see in this chapter sort of three pathways to perfection, three ways we could choose to pursue what it means to be perfect like our Father. And I think Jesus actually says two of those pathways are dead ends. They don't get us there. They don't yield the kind of perfection that the kingdom of God is all about. But there is a, a third way. And that, that way of perfection is the way we enter into the kingdom Jesus is bringing. The first one that I see Jesus tackling at the beginning of this chapter is the idea that perfection is connected to performance. And with each one of these ideas about perfection, they, they draw highly from what that image of God our Father is about, how we think God sees us, what kind of God we think we're in relationship with. And sometimes I think we carry around in us this idea that God 
is like a parent who's a little self-conscious about his children. A little embarrassed about the impression we might make on others. And that what God is ultimately concerned with boils down to how we look and how we act around other people. It may sound silly to put it like that. Maybe we don't really think or wouldn't say that we think God is like that. But it's so easy for us to reduce all of what Jesus says here in the Gospels, all of the good news that he teaches us. We, we boil that down to a list of rules, behaviors, words we're meant to say, impressions we're meant to make. That we turn Jesus into a performance. I know because I've lived it, I've experienced it, I wrestle with this. You know, the, the, the experts at this kind of, this way of perfection are usually pastors. Right? We believe it's our job. We can believe it's our, our paychecks depend upon making the right impression, saying the right things, keeping up the right appearances, being seen at the right times and in the right places. And we can assume that if we can manage to keep everyone else satisfied with what we're doing, with our own performance, our own moral performance, then God must be happy with us too. Right? The approval of God depends upon us receiving the approval of others. The question I think we should ask is, well, what does Jesus say about this kind of perfection? And he's pretty clear in chapter 6. Right away in verse 1, he says, Be perfect like your heaven, heavenly Father is perfect, but do not seek perfection. Do not practice your righteousness in this way, to be seen by others. And in fact, Jesus reserves a special word for those of us who decide to make this our pathway. He calls us hypocrites. Kupokritai is the Greek word. And it, it was a word that was often used in, in Greco-Roman culture for theater actors, for people who made their living giving performances on a stage. Jesus says, if we think that the perfection God desires for us is to turn every prayer, to turn every good deed, to turn our fasting, to turn the whole of our spiritual lives into a kind of theatrical performance. Jesus says, God the Father isn't interested. He's not watching all that. He actually, sort of, if you read between the lines... Jesus is saying, God ignores all that. You, you can have the reward you get from whatever reception the crowd or the audience you're seeking gives you. But God doesn't give out Academy Awards to the best hypocrites among us. And we, I hope, we should hear that as really good news. That should sound like gospel to us. Because it's a, it's a great relief to know that Jesus wants to spare us all the pressure, all the shame, all the expectations that come with living a relationship with God that's based on moral performance. Trying harder to make the right impression, to do the right thing at the right time. 
Jesus wants to let us know that we cannot act our way into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. And so as your pastor, let me give you, let me give myself permission to stop trying to do this. Okay? This is not the way to be perfect as our Father is perfect. And so we might think, well, if God's not interested in what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm acted, acting, maybe we swing to the other extreme and maybe we begin to assume that God is, is too far away, that God might need a little help. And then we begin to think about perfection or, 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 or stabilizing our lives or living our lives in, in the best way as as a means of securing our own plans and our own possessions. It's the the alternate extreme. God is is maybe not paying enough attention to us. God is disinterested in what's going on in our circumstances, in our needs. And as we start down this road, this pathway to perfection, our actions and our assumptions get rooted in this belief that security comes as we put ourselves in control. We need control to be perfect. And in taking that control, we, we start to assume God's place for him. We, we step in for the role of the absent father, so to speak. Jesus points out that two of the greatest temptations for us to practice this idea of of control-taking, securing things for ourselves out of that anxiety and insecurity, are in the areas of money and worry. The first one has to do with with what we hold in our hands, what we possess. When I make enough, when I have enough, then things will be perfect. I just need a little more financial security. I just need a little more fill-in-the-blank. But what does Jesus say about this kind of perfection? Well, Jesus says if we look to our possessions to, to give us that sense of security and control, he says that our possessions aren't very gracious masters. He says, actually, you cannot live life trying to be in relationship with God and trying to control things by what you possess. You can't serve both God and money. Possessions offer us a sense of security and control, but ultimately, Jesus says, they will control us. Maybe your desire for security isn't attached so much to possessions or dollar signs as it is to circumstances. Worrying about what the future holds. Worrying about a health condition. Worrying about something at work. Worrying about someone else's impression of you. And this too is a way to find security, to, to get what we need so that we can be safe. If we think carefully enough, if we work hard enough, 
If we let anxiety drive us far enough to, to anticipate enough of the details, enough of the data to make the best possible plan, that's about as close to perfect as we're going to get. And I know that one too because I can live in that place often. But as Jesus points out, starting in verse 25, he says, when life becomes the process of, of chasing down each and every worry, and each and every thing we need to be secure, we miss life itself. He says, worry not only cannot add a single moment to your lives, but worry can actually destroy those moments by handing you fear and dread, so much so that you become controlled and mastered by it. So Jesus is also telling us that micromanaging our universe our lives, the lives of our families, is not what Jesus means when he says, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. So let me give you permission, as, as Pete has already done today, to surrender those worries, to surrender the felt need to have those possessions. Jesus says, that is not the way into the kingdom I want to bring you. So if perfection is not about moral performance, if it's not about acquiring possessions, if it's not about making perfect plans for our lives, then what is it? Well, I think throughout this whole chapter, Jesus is saying to us that perfection comes to us through who our parent is. That perfection is actually a gift based on, that grows out of our paternity, so to speak. Perfection grows out of having this deep down in our bones knowledge of who our Heavenly Father is. That you belong to a Father who loves you. That's the gospel Jesus has come to tell us. And I want to show you very briefly how Jesus answers those, those dead-end pathways to perfection with the one that is a gift from our Father instead. The first half there of chapter 6, Jesus picks up that, that hypocritical way, that performance way of perfection. And he dismisses that way, but he keeps coming back to something else instead. He says, don't worry about what everybody else thinks or sees you doing. Look at your father. Specifically, look at the way he looks at you. See how deeply you are seen and known by this father. Think about how your father sees you. Think about how your father knows everything about you. Think about how your father rejoices when you show kindness or mercy or love or righteousness to another of his children. Think about the way the father looks upon you because you are his own. You have a father, Jesus says, who sees you perfectly, constantly, and who sees you inside and out. And there is freedom in that knowledge. 
Jesus says the same thing when we're tempted to think about perfection by means of possession or worry. There too, Jesus says the antidote to those ways of thinking is to note the character of our Father. Look at the Father. And specifically, look how he sees you. Look at how he he feeds the birds who do not give a single moment's thought to where their meal is coming from. Look at how he clothes the the fields with flowers and beauty. Simply by design, out of the, the nature of who he is as creator. And Jesus says, this same father, do you have any notion of how great his love for you is? As his children. So Jesus says, your father knows your need. And his knowledge of you is freedom. His knowledge of you yields that perfection that we long for. God's knowledge of us not only frees us from our attachment to materialism or our attachment to anxiety... But it's a freedom to seek all that we were created to seek. To seek the Father's kingdom. To seek the Father's righteousness. It's a freedom to be who our Father is. To do that, Jesus says, we have to see him clearly. And so life in this kingdom is a deepening awareness, a constant gaze where we see what the Father is doing, and that is reflected in us. Jesus says we see our Father loving his enemies, and we in turn begin to love that way. We see our Father forgiving those who hate him, and we in turn learn how to forgive. We see our Father listening to us when we pray, and we in turn become listeners and servants to others in our lives. We see the Father giving generously to us whenever we ask, and we in turn learn how to be generous. This is the way of the kingdom. Discipleship is seeing who our our heavenly and perfect parent is, how God responds to us, and we imitate that, right? Imitation is always the way children become more like their parents. And so I want want you to hear the good news that perfection in the kingdom of God is solely a function of relationship with your Father. It is a gift that flows from him to you through Jesus the Son. Perfection is the experience of being perfectly seen, perfectly known, perfectly loved by our God. As if that weren't all enough to make the case that that our vision and our understanding of who our Father is, is really at the heart. It's the key to what life in the kingdom is about. Matthew has put one more piece right in the middle of that, that puzzle. If you take the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, you have about 220 something lines of Greek text. All of it about what it means to be people of the kingdom, right? But as Dale Bruner notes in his commentary, Matthew has very carefully chosen one thing to put at the center, right in the centerpiece of this teaching. And it's a simple prayer. 
It's the prayer that begins, Our Father. I want to just finish this morning by praying that together with you. And to ask that we would have ears to hear who we belong to as we pray this prayer. That our lives may begin to reflect our God more fully. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.